0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters. Support Our Supporters? Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffered himself, mm-hmm. Jason Furman, mm-hmm. from... Ainswick Irons- Dog Quip. Ainswick Dog Quip. Ainswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment.
0: You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm -hmm. Let's go with like, Jason, Jason, I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, No, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go, Do it, sir. He's
1: pretty good like that, the old Buffet, isn't he? Yeah. We should get
0: Teespring. The
1: Buffet. Teespring <laughs> merch made up. <laughs> Support the buffhead. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are Yeah, you know who's show. not a buffhead? Tell me. Machlepointe. Machlepointe is French for Mark. For not a buffhead. Yeah, for not a buffhead. And he is from. Canon Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. In Canada. Yep. Please don't slow this one down. (laughs) So if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. It does. Yeah. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm.
0: You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benway. Our good friend, Mel Benway. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which is- (laughs) Richmond,
1: Virginia. Or Ashland, Virginia. She <laughs> yeah. comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. Who we are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So if you're in Australia, you need dog equipment. hmm Jason Furman. Ainswick dog equipment. dog equipment. Yep. If you're in North America, yep. you need working dog equipment. Mark Point. <laughs> <laughs> Canine Dynamics. <laughs> And if you're in Ashland, Virginia Or Richmond, Virginia Yep, in that general area Yep, and you need pet dog training Melanie
1: Benway Melanie Benway Kindred canine Kindred canine Yep That's it
0: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host Kerr Eben, and I'm joined by my co-host Kirsty Reid. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's one each, so they they both got the same. Now we have to explain that because
1: that's a in-house joke. Yeah.
0: No, let's just leave it that way. Let's just leave it that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> After the last episode, Kerr contacted me. Yeah. That's another one for his tally, by the yeah, way. Yeah. He's flying ahead right now. Yeah. Yeah. He contacted me, and he was very happy that we're now friends. Yeah. Yeah. We're well, best friends good. now. Good to know. Yeah.
0: I'll just say Kirsty again just to make sure that they they stay the same. You have to say Kirsty Reed, though. Kirsty Reed. Yeah, Kirsty Reed. Kirsty Reed. Kirsty Reed, Kirsty Reed, Kirstie Reed. Kirstie Reed. Kirstie Reed Kirstie yeah. Reed. She's got to be ahead now.
1: Yep. Sorry, Curry, Ben.
0: All right. Dog training. Yeah. Dog talking. Mm. What's cracking?
1: A couple of things. Mm. I know we like to do a little bit of recap on each episode. It's always good to see that the interaction that people have per episode and what they're getting out of it. I like to know whether it's relevant to what people are thinking at the times. Mm -hmm. Really, there's no point in just talking about irrelevant objects. I mean, I know sometimes we do go off on tangents and spin it around, but we some way segue it back to something relevant in the conversation anyway. But Mm -hmm. like I said, it is nice. We're doing this as a community project. It's a people show for people in our industry. So I do like to know what's concurrent in our industry. What are we talking about? What are we feeling? How are we coping during these times? That's one thing I want to sort of do at one stage as well is do another follow-up with a few people and find out how people have been coping with business and, Mm. you know, how it's changed their world and so forth because some people are accelerating and other people are really struggling. Mm. You know, like it's been really hard on their mental health. It's been very hard on their ability to get traction, to get customers and so forth. So at some stage, we might do a little bit of a forum and, have a chat with people and see what they're doing, what they've done differently, how they've evolved, what methods they've taken on board. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for a podcast that is specific to an industry, that's a good direction to take it in. Mm -hmm. So we had a contact by one of the listeners of the show from Canada. I think so, yeah. Okay. So we were contacted by someone from Canada, a guy called Roger. sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can look into that. We can just claim it now anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And if we're wrong, I'll just say I was Kerr. Yeah. Yeah. So so Roger contacted us and in the thread he was talking about trainers that give people conflicting information. Mm. And that's not new. Mm. You know, that's been going on in the industry since Adam was a boy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've probably given people conflicting information.
0: You've probably given people conflicting information. You mean conflicting within the same session, like conflicting yourself or conflicting what somebody else has told them? Could be either, couldn't
1: Mm. it? There's people who have come to me for sessions before. They've literally said, this is off the back of another trainer. I'm coming to you. They've told me who the trainer is, what they've told them. And not as a rubbish to the trainer, but I've said, okay, stop that. That's not what we're going to do. This is no good for you and the dog. Mm -hmm. According to my experience, Mm -hmm. I said, I think we need a complete reset and we need a direction change on where we're going from here. Mm. And they've said to me, oh, why? Like, why would we do that? I'm getting some results. I'm just not getting everything. And I'm I'm just saying, well, I really believe, you know, like based on what I'm seeing with your dog, what I'm seeing with you, the relationship between the two of you, this is just not a good pathway to go down anymore. Mm -hmm. Or- I know other people have come to me for a session. They've not been happy with what I've said and they've gone to another trainer and said, wasn't working for me. That's going to be the case. You're going to get people moving in and out of camps on and off throughout your entire career that are Mm. going to say, this worked for me or as we've said in previous episodes. Sometimes it's just a personality relationship. They mm. just have a better relationship with somebody else. What comes out of their mouth may resonate better in their ears. Mm.
0: Yeah. Roger emailed me as well, and and I think one of the interesting things, it relates to something that we've spoken about quite a bit over the last few months, mm. is that people aren't necessarily wrong in what they're explaining. They might just be out of date.
1: Yeah. Right. Or and, it could be a delivery.
0: Yeah, it could be a delivery, but yep. I think, you know, especially – Nowadays, and this will feed into what we could talk about the electric collars as well, right? Yeah, is that you know there's a lot of really impressive, nuanced use Mm. of training and tools, and people are getting really smart at this stuff, right? Like as you know, as as information is so easily disseminated these days. Mm. Again, it's something you know. I was looking on Facebook this morning, and I see the amount of webinars that people are doing. You just you know the change of affairs like around the world, but also I think that as things begin to open, we're going to be stuck with this because we're not stuck with it, but we're going to be left with it because first of all, that, that, you know, once something's online, it's on there forever. Yep. But also people are realizing like, Oh, actually, you know, that's a pretty good delivery system. Like I reached a lot of people and I got to, as a business model, I can now increase my market to the whole world rather than locally. Yep. And I can sell my product in a way that doesn't do me out of further work. That was Mm. one of the things I was really worried about was, you know, and I just released my online courses a few months ago, a month ago or something like that. Mm. I was really concerned. We back and forth about this for ages because I did that whole, you filmed the seminar for me that I did here. Yep. And I really was sitting on that footage and didn't know what to do with it because I was like, I don't want to sell this because then I'm sort of doing myself out of work. And my, I had it in my head wrongly and I'll explain in a minute, but I mm. had it in my head that people are going to see this and then that's it. I'm done. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I had sort of put in my, i had equated it to like a comedian doing the Netflix special, mm. right? Like that material's dead. You can't tell those jokes anymore. Yeah. And so, what I did was cut the jokes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. But then I was like, no, this information, like I can sell it. And what was interesting to me is the overwhelming majority of people that bought it, ha- that series, have already been to my seminars, right?
1: But that's the thing is people like to still meet the person in person, you know, maybe not shake the hand in this day and age so much, but mm. they still like to be in the room with them and still have- Do the uh, practical work. Still do the practical work yeah. or still have a tailored conversation. Yeah. Everything that they wanted to talk about, or the questions they, they wanted to ask, they might not have the ability to do so. And, you know, you might say, well, they could reach out to me online and do it. But I still think that let me traverse back in time. You know, back in the days where we used to sit around as collective groups, this was back in the Boyd days again with ADT, we used to get VHS tapes. This is going back into old, archaic sort of, mm-hmm. you know, media mm-hmm. where we'd all sit around watching Learberg VHSs and, you know, there were other, I think it was canine training systems or whatever it was mm-hmm. back in the day, and we'd sit around and watch them. We'd be around there, you know, once a fortnight, once a month or something like that as a big group sitting around, you know, taking notes, talking to each other, watching the online material and- or, That was online for us back then. There was no internet. However, meeting the person and still being there with them and having the presence of them, they were still exciting. And yet we'd seen all their material and really when it broke down to it, when they came out and when they were doing a seminar, you'd already learned a lot of the stuff. But Mm. it was really nice to be there and have the inserts of all those little – we're fans of talking about the nuances and things. Yeah. That's what they got to introduce when you met them in the flesh as well is they introduced the nuances or anything that was additional. Yeah. Again, it might be one of those five percenters. I think I've claimed this about doing the gold school with Bart. Like I've heard a lot of people doing a lot of learning theory over years. You know, a lot of people I thought were great. What I did think when Bart was talking about things, I thought, oh, yeah, I've heard this, I've heard this. But – there's probably 10% of the things that he inserts there that i've never heard before mm-hmm. you know like i've never heard it said that way or it was a like a it was like a binder that brought yeah. two big blocks together and you thought ah oh, now i can see how the relationship of these things coincide with each other yeah. and that missing that meant that you would get to the other block but then you would think now how do i chain it because that's the importance of being in the room with the person I feel.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree with all that. And what I have found is for myself, and I notice a lot of other people in the industry doing the same, is yeah. that the stigma of putting out your online content, Yeah. the thought is that is going to cut me off from work, physical work, which I want to do a lot of, right? Yep. That was my initial sort of concern. I don't and think it, so. And it appears not. And, mm. and so more and more people are putting out that content, yep. which is great, but then- what that means is that mostly the people who are digesting that stuff, who are buying it and learning it and applying it, are newer people in the industry because they're hungry to learn, mm. right? So one of the situations that I think people are finding themselves in is they are either tech savvy, media savvy, or are hungry to learn new information. and Or so- people who have FOMO. Yeah. But so you're a new ish person, you've got your your first or second working dog and you, yeah. you decide like, okay, I'm gonna get Pat's video series and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Skype session with Jerry Bradshaw and I'm getting you know, like all the different things that are available to people, yeah. right? You do a bunch of that stuff and then you go, Okay, but now I need some help implementing this because that's what's missing from the online piece, yep. right? And the nuance of this is I think where the value of a catering. Real, yeah, like mm. the real life seminar affords that. We've explained it and we talk about it. Now we get a dog out and we do it and things go wrong in the session and we get to see like, okay, now because this happened, we do this and we, we had a plan and we change it. right? And that's what's missing from the online stuff. Because even like the way I've chosen to do a lot of online stuff is, you know, because I'm a, Fucking can talk, I can talk underwater with my mouth full of marbles. No, is, no. <laughs> and because it's our platform is yep. like most of my online stuff is explanations. I don't mm. do a lot of online demonstrations because you watching me do it with my dog. I just don't think that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would rather, you know, either I do it with your dog or I talk someone else through doing it with their dog. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I think that's the real value and you get to see that live. Mm. So anyway, I think what I am what I have observed is there's a lot of people who are really highly educated because of the availability of that education. Yep. Most people have their stuff out reasonably priced. These days it's usually video or audio format, so it's very digestible. Your time restraint isn't the same because mm. you don't have to read a book. I know myself I've got a whole stack of books that I want to read mm. and I'm getting through them at like a snail's pace yep. because I just don't have a lot of time allocated to that. But what I do have is a lot of dead time when I'm working out. There's an hour a day that that I can listen to something, right? Yep. And like, I just drove out here and, and I've got to go home. So there's two hours at the least of, of time that I can listen to something and use wisely to educate myself. Yeah,
1: right? Yeah, I've been doing the same. Yeah,
0: you know, so many people do that these mm. days that – A lot of people who are sort of newcomers to the industry and are like still thirsty for information and haven't had any success yet, I think that can be one of the key driving forces to digesting so much of this information is no success in the past because you're a blank slate. You don't have anything in the past, right, in in regards to dogs. So what I'm observing is a lot of people are really highly educated themselves without the practical work. Mm. And then you go, okay, now I I need some help in the implementation of this. The guy that I've learned it from is on the other side of the world, so he can't help me practically implement it, you know, face-to-face. Although there's systems for that. If people send video and I critique it and all that kind of stuff, right? Like that is manageable. Yeah. But you organize a session with a local trainer And he's relying on what he learned in 1997, Mm. right? And what he learned in 1997 works. It fucking works great, right? For the dogs that he had then and for the training that he did then and the titles that he had, right? Yeah. But he's not doing anything wrong, not by any measure. The world just moved on. Yeah, and he's, and why keep up? Because what he does works, right? So when you turn up with your, you know, wide eyed, bushy tailed head full of brand new knowledge, it's very easy for someone like that to pull the rug out from underneath you and say, That's wrong. What you're doing is nonsense. I've never seen anyone do that. I don't understand it. When in reality, there's loads of people doing it, but they're not and they're not up to date. And they have – like a lot of these trainers, the older school trainers, would have the practical hands-on capability to help you through that if they also downloaded and digested that information, right? Well, that's miraculous because that ties into last week's topic, which is just
1: because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not right.
0: Yeah. And so – Mostly last week we kind of focused on the idea of it being like you have a bias to not understand it. We talked a lot about e-colors and stuff like that. But it can be that it's just that it's newer information. It might align ethically and like it might perfectly align with everything you want to do. Mm -hmm. They just haven't kept up to date. And that's that kind of like not knowing what you don't know, right? And uh, we've talked about it plenty of times in the past is that I think people who are very successful – can then become stagnant because it's successful. Why keep looking anywhere else, right? Mm. Like what I've done, I've achieved. You as a client want to come to me to get your IPO one. I have 30 dogs in my kennel that I've put through IPO one. Mm. So why the fuck would I continue to educate myself and progress? Because I have that, right? And there's, you know, there's an element of truth to that. But it might also be that I just don't have time. Like I'm so busy cranking out these dogs and training the dogs I have in a method that I know works mm. that I don't have the time or energy to be looking elsewhere for what else works because I know what works for me. Right. And that's really common and that's fair enough. People can get into that. Yep. So I think that that's where you get these head fusion where somebody who doesn't have the practical hands on skills and where I think those people sometimes fall over is because you do What I've observed, especially when you get into the really nuanced, technical, newer stuff, especially if we're going to talk, say, Nipopo, right? Yep. Not that it's new, but like the real technical sort of things is – a lot of people learn that well enough to do it and mm-hmm. they would happily implement it, right? And they can do it really well. Yep. But they don't have the follow-up questions when people ask the follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. And so when you go, you learn a bunch of new cool stuff and you go to your club or to your regular trainer and you say, how hey, I want to work on this. And they go, that won't work. And you haven't done it. You've only seen someone else do it. And you have to then kind of admit. You have to like, concede. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they say, no, that's stupid teaching a dog to bark at a ball that is hanging from a, a string in the blind while he stands on a marker board is not a fucking bark and hold. Mm. We are going to do a bark and hold by back tying your dog. I'm going to crack the shit out of this whip. We're going to get within an inch of him. And so he's losing his mind hysterical when he eventually barks properly. And the way I like it, I'm going to let him bite. Eventually he's going to figure out barking leads to biting. We can fade out the back tie. We like the traditional method. Right. Yep. And that's the traditional method. Work it works fine. Yep. It does work. Yep. It has worked for plenty of times. thousands and thousands of dogs. But the other method also works yep. and what happens, the difference in like I think the modern education and this kind of stuff is that I need a helper to do that, which means I get my session at the club and if the club trains once or twice a week, I get two sessions a week and it's, you know, that's why my dog's going to be four years old before he can do this correctly because this is all we have access to. Yep. But if I can teach my dog the mechanics, the chunking, if I can break it down and say, this is the position I need you in. This is the type of barking I need you to be in. And I can teach him everything and by myself during the week and then just finish it with the helper. Yeah, That's how I can put the turbo onto my training. Yep. And so that's where there's a lot of sticky points when people say, hey, there's meant to be real aggression in the barking. Like barking at a ball is not going to be real aggression. We shouldn't be doing that. And we go, yeah, I get it. First of all, we're not going for world championship here. So the difference in barking points between real aggression and not is going to be maximum of two points. And yeah, you know, most people are like an, amazed with an 80. So it's not like those two points are going to, we're not playing for fucking sheep stations yeah. here, right? But then what it allows us to do is like train by myself and it gives me something to do during the week with my dog. And of course I can show the dog all the mechanics of it. I can show all the pitch and barking. And then transfer it. Exactly. Mm. And then I can make prey barking into aggression barking. Mm. When the dog knows all the jobs, I can switch that very quickly. Yeah. But if you don't, you've never done that. And you turn up to the club and you go, look, my dog can stand on this box and he can bark at this ball. And people in the club go, that's fucking useless. Put your shit away. It's really easy for them to just sort of pull the wind out, like pull the rug out from underneath you, right? And just Mm. be like, and you kind of have no choice, but it would take either a stubborn person, a very committed person or a fool to then say to their club, no, fuck you, I'm doing it. My own way. Yeah. Right. Because you, you have no evidence that your way works other than watching other people do it. Those people have a bunch of trophies on their wall, the evidence that their way works. Yeah. So that's why I think you can get these points of confusion like that. And I don't think nobody's wrong in that situation. It's just a real tricky sticking point. And I think that what I would encourage people to do is push the person who would be your helper in that regard to, that education
1: yeah just investigate it and i think that's a nice admission when i I had a similar conversation with somebody several months ago when we were talking about something to do with scent detection and i was asked i was grilling this person about a bunch of different things and they just said oh look oh i don't i don't understand this which was really nice in the conversation because they said i don't think it will work they just said i don't understand it could you refer me to the material and i said yeah sure I said, I thought that you had a background and this is why I was asking you all the questions. They said, no, no, I don't understand anything about this. You're right? It sort of crosses the streams on what I know about detection work, but it sounds interesting and I'd like to look into it. And I thought, mm-hmm. holy shit, what a great admission. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, oh, ah, no, that, and, and, you know, older person being around the traps for a while. And rather than just saying, no, nah, no, nah, my system's the way to go with, they just thought, Oh, yeah, cool. Send me the links. I'm interested to read back. And, you know, we've had a, over the I think probably the last time I spoke to this person was two weeks ago and we were having a bit of dialogue backwards and forwards on what they discovered about it. So Mm. it was interesting. And I really enjoy that with people in the industry, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter. Let's remove dog training from the subject. It is a nice thing and a nice revelation when somebody says, or somebody admits that I don't know all the information Mm. and, you know, the world is turning and it's moving on and people are really coming up with some great ideas love to sit down and chew the fat with them.
0: Yeah, totally. Mm. I think that's one of the things we can pat ourselves on the back in like our, the community around the podcast is very supportive in that way. And there's a lot of out referrals. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's the nature of a show where you have guests on to talk about their specialization is that you're then introducing them to our audience and Mm. saying, Hey, here's a person who we think knows more than us on this topic. Right. And so it makes the referral to that person later really easy because I can then say, Oh, dude! Like, what the fuck do I know about Labradors? Talk to Pat Nolan. He's the dude. He's the right? guy. Like, yeah. and that's an easy link to make, right? Mm. It's a really easy. Instead of then being having to say to someone, "Well, hey, there's this guy. His name is Pat Nolan. He is like one of the founding fathers of this kind of stuff. Yeah, he's actually available to talk to." And you to have say, to say "Listen of, to the episode. Yeah, here it is. Bang, yeah. listen to this, right? So that's it makes two it for us. For Pat it's, Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> 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 better throw in Kirsty Reid. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> it, Kerr. Sorry, Kerr. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes it really easy and to do. And I, like, I hope that there's more of that, but I don't think there is so much around and, and those easy referral networks as a business, I think mm. are really important. But then I think what is tricky is if you are the client of someone trying to get them because you need their, their hands-on skills, yep. trying to get them to upskill their knowledge they're theoretically knowledge so that you can use them to help you with your hands-on part mm. right so it's similar to you know like again to use that bark and holders as an example because i'm thinking of a real life example of someone yeah is like you've got a decoy he's really good he works a suit awesome or you know does what he's needed to do but just doesn't know some of these new techniques yeah and so you then have to be like hey come for a drive in my car with me and I'll have on I'll have on this I'll have on this podcast and you'll hear this guy talk about this thing and maybe you'll become interested and it's that sort of subtle way of implementing that to help them upskill their their knowledge to help you do because they have the physical skills to do what it is you want them to do.
1: I just do that classical meme of just walking into a urinal right up next to someone and say, "Hey, I've got a podcast you want to listen
0: to
1: it." <laughs> It's a great topic that we've just spun out of nowhere considering that we were looking to have a guest on the show and it didn't pan out. Yep. We've sort of had something in the back burners to talk about. Thanks to you, Roger, for sparking this conversation. One of the things that I really admire about my wife, Narelle, who's now got her own podcast show, by the way, she's doing something similar to what you're talking about. She's for a long, long time been toying about putting things online. As we speak, she's now researching how to do all that. She's, you know, starting to develop all the content One of the things I really admire about Narelle is if she doesn't know any topic, she will not profess to be the gatekeeper of that knowledge. Mm -hmm. She'll go looking for it and she'll publicly say to people, look, I don't know. I'm not even going to attempt to answer that because I I think I'd do it in injustice. And she will send people, she will refer them straight away to other people who do have the knowledge and do have the access to it. Like even last night, I've got the message on my phone. There was a lady called Jackie who messaged me about different types of dog food. And I gave her one and she said, what else would you recommend? And I said, look, just because I'm the idiot co-host on the REL show, it doesn't mean I'm the keeper of information. I'd rather you wait till morning. She's asleep now. Message her in the morning and, you know, she's the best one to tell you about it. Because Mm -hmm. for me, I would be deceiving people Mm -hmm. to try and – come up with a bunch of, I mean, I know some stuff, but nothing compared to what she knows. Yeah. You know, like she is overwhelmingly intelligent with her information and it would be an insult to the industry and the profession and to Narelle to try and fumble through that. So I wouldn't dare do that. There's no time on this earth that I would ever profess to know that knowledge. I just say, I'll ask Narelle or you can ask Narelle. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I feel her pain on that hesitation for online stuff, something that, you know, we discussed a lot when we first started doing the podcast. Yep, was that you are developing a record of you know your thoughts, and when you put out that information, that's what people see you as, mm. and it makes it. It hasn't turned out to be this way for me, but I, I thought it would become difficult to change your mind. Yep, because people can go back to the recording and pull out the recording and say you said this, and you go well. That was a Tuesday and on yeah. Wednesday I felt differently. And like I'm under no obligation to. We're allowed to change our mind and we've professed yeah. that. And but we've also that's professed. That's why I think people have a hesitation because say you put out like, here's a fact and it is a fact today. Yeah. And then there's new science tomorrow and it's no longer a fact, right? Yep. So we've figured out, no, you were wrong. You uh, Okay. Yeah, but that's the thing. Then take liability and concern and all that out of it. For a person, and Norelle's a lot like myself, is, you know, I like to provide the best information. Yeah, it's very stressful to think that that's on the internet and I can't get that back. Yeah, and so someone might, like, I might say the sky is blue today, and then tomorrow when it turns purple, I can put out a retraction. I can say to people, "Hey, turns out it the sky is blue, purple, but it's yeah. now purple." But now, two years from now, when someone gets into that and they go, "Right, the sky is blue," and then they start telling their friends and they look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. And then it's like, I got that from Pat Stewart. Yeah, Pat told me that, and, but also <laughs> it's not that, that I'm worried about that. So I got that from Pat. It's that I don't want people to be using bad information, especially bad information they got from me. And so that's yep. kind of the issue of putting out online stuff is, mm. you know, time stamping it and being like, this is how I feel about that today. Yeah. And also a lot of the content we put out, you know, say so the seminar that like is on my video package, plug, mm. plug, 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 right. <laughs> uh, that's how I felt on that day. And yep. that's how that information came out on that day. And it's different sometimes. You so know how I mean? are you
1: different than anybody in the world
0: who's no, putting no, online content? No, on. no, no. But that's the risk of all online content. Just the content. thoughts in your head. Yeah, that's yep. that's just the risk of all of yeah. it. And, you know, some of the – I'm sure everybody feels this way. I know for sure. I was at uh, – when I was at Michael Ellis's school, he had just got back from filming for Learburg. And yep. he expressed some of the same problems with yeah. that – I can't remember what video he was filming. I think it was a leash one or something when I did the week after I was there and he was expressing to his staff, I was just kind of eavesdropping. Like I was hiding around the corner, like listening in on their conversation. Did you have pants on or not? (laughs) No, I never wear pants. Um, (laughs) So he was expressing to his staff that – they say, you know, how did it go? And he goes, well, it's it's good. Yeah. But there were some takes where he knew the dog could be better and yep. he would have liked to have redone it, but the producers doing it were like, no, that's sufficient. And it was sufficient. It is yep. sufficient. It was good enough. Yeah. But he knew it could be better. Mm. And that's kind of the issue with all that kind of online content is that the pursuit of excellence will, of perfection will drive you crazy. There's a quote that summarizes it. The enemy of great is good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so- That's the issue is you need to get that content out. And maybe today when I'm filming this with the dog, that's as good as I've gotten. And then tomorrow – I do with a different dog and I do a better version. I'm like, shit, that's the one I want people to see because Mm. I put a benchmark off of thinking that's how good it can be. And I didn't know it was capable of being as good as I just got it. And now people look at that. And this was, you know, the concern for Michael that day was he was saying that people are going to look at that and go, that's as good as it can be because it's him doing it. Right. And he was like, I know it can be better. I just needed 10 more minutes to make it better. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's one of the issues that's, for, for anybody that puts out online content, that can be a big thing that holds you back. Is mm. that you kind of set that in time, and and I think as as consumers of that content, we have to be really aware of that. We have to sort of go, okay, well, when was this filmed, and what is the conditions under which this was filmed, and 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 what is the context under which this is filmed, right? Yep. And okay, I take it as that. It's one of the reasons, amongst others, why I just made a few weeks ago made the video series with Val that me and Sam did like Mm. that's now free online is one of the biggest catalysts for that was that I don't really train that way anymore. Yeah, And I still, I still support it. I think it's like, if you're just raising a pet dog, that's the way to do it. It's perfect. It's fine. Like, Mm. not perfect, but it's very, very good. And I think that as a pet dog training resource, it's excellent. But, something that upset me was I was, you know, you get an email every time someone buys your shit and you can see the name of the people. And I would see people who I knew were far past that skill level yep. buying it. And I'd be like, oh, you bought that because you thought it was something similar to what I say. There'd be people in our Patreon who are at. They're supporting you. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. They're going along with, I mean, I'm sure there were people supporting me, but mm. they were, they were going along with where I'm at now. Right. In okay. my ability to gotcha. deliver knowledge. Yeah. They're consuming stuff that I'm putting out now. I'm finding Mm. it useful and interesting. Yeah. And I knew that they would buy that series and then go, oh, what the fuck, Pat? This is basic pet stuff. Mm. And no matter how much I labeled it as that, they would think that it would be the way that I'm doing it now. And it's not because she turned seven in a couple of months, Mm. right? So it's, it's seven years old. And so that's one of the reasons I made it free is because I was like, I don't want people paying. I still support it. I still think it's great. I still think it's a really good resource that people can use. And, you know, my hope now is that people send it to their clients and all kinds of stuff and say, hey, like, you know, part of the idea of doing that series was that we thought a lot of professional trainers would, uh, but not too many people took us up on this, Mm -hmm. would present it to their clients prior to a session and say, watch this and this will give you the base knowledge and then we can expand on that And so I hope people are doing that now. And if I look at the downloads, it seems like that is the case, but, like I say, I don't train that way anymore. Mm. Like, and I wouldn't raise a dog like that again. In that video series, I say I don't use clickers. Uh, and- yep, that contradicts everything you're doing now. Yeah, so yeah. like on the same web page, you can see there's a video of me saying like, you know, clickers are good, but I don't see the point in them. Mm. To me, being obsessed and saying like, you're an idiot if you don't. Right? So like,
1: <laughs> yeah, but we've all had those funny little biases over time, and I mean, I've been called on my biases, and you know, like people have said to me, oh, you know, I I knew you back thirty years ago. When- when you were training at ADT and you did this and you said that. And I said, yeah, but I've changed since then. Yeah, totally. You know, like I called myself on my bullshit or that's all I knew at the time. Yeah. You know, that was the exposure I had to the industry and that's what I knew. And it was working successfully and, you know, fundamentally everybody gained from that. Yeah. But I just don't see how people could not want to progress or move into a next echelon of training. Yeah. It's, you know, also just before you go ahead, it's funny listening or more fascinating listening to you talking about this. Because you and Narelle, you suffer over the same things. Yeah. Like she does not stop studying. She just does not. Like even when she's sitting out, you know, after she's finished work at night, she's sitting out there with a laptop doing someone's online seminar or she's reading the latest information. She just cannot bear the thought that she's behind the eight ball on what the industry is doing. She's on two weeks break at the moment. I said, oh, you know, why don't you just get out of the house and do these? She said, Glenn, I've got like twenty or to thirty hours of online content that I've purchased that I've got to read and listen to and watch because you know it's all relevant to the things I'm talking about on the podcast. Mm. And I said, You still got to have a life in between that as well. But she's incorporated that into being part of her life, you know. Yeah, that's- that is life. Because she's not enjoying her life, knowing that she's missing out on that information and then not being able to be and not feel ethical and complete
0: in what she's talking about to her colleagues. I feel that deep in my soul. Yeah, And as much as I I am totally willing to look at someone and say, I don't know how to help you, yeah. like that's outside my wheelhouse. I can't do that. I'm totally willing to do that. And I do that regularly, I'll, especially if it's a really niche thing in a theoretical like a detection topic because yeah. that's not my wheelhouse, right? Yeah. But I don't like doing it. It makes me feel sick not to – not, not, to, to, not have, to know all the information. Not to have those answers. And yeah. so you could bet your ass. If someone's ever asked me a question and I say, hey, I'm not sure you'll have to talk to this guy. He'll be able to give you the answer. You bet your ass I know that answer three days later. Yeah. <laughs> because I have to fucking find out. Yeah. And what's annoying I know me- you do that
1: because I've seen your limitations on something before and then suddenly you have the answer. Yeah. yeah. And I just know that you'd be home pouring through the archives just to say, that's eating me alive and I'm lying in bed with my eyes open thinking, fuck.
0: I was having this conversation with Rip this morning. So he wants to decorate the house and Halloween stuff. So we walked out the street yesterday and our neighbor's house is all Halloweened up. Mm. And he's like, can we do that to our house? I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Right. It's been nonstop. He has like it's all we've talked about. He wants to go. I'm like, well, mate, we. But who sees your house on the street? Nobody, no one. But he still wants to do it. Okay, right? fair enough. He's a little kid. And yeah. And so he's. When are we going to the shop to get this stuff? Like, and I'm like, well, mate, not till Saturday because you know it's a week. It's a weekday, and we we've got all these things that we have to do. And it's been nonstop. He can see it. And I had to sit him down this morning when he's saying I want to go there. And it, like you know, at six o'clock this morning, he's like, let's go to the shop. I'm like, that's not how shops work, mate. Yep. And I had to sit him down I was was like, hey, buddy, I know how your brain works because it's how mine works too. Like, and I'm going to help you through this because you obsess over things. And once you decide on something, come hell or high water, you're fucking doing it. I get it. Right. But we need to like find a surrogate that will allow you to relieve the pressure. It's not going to be the full thing, but we're going to put a blow off valve on the steam engine so that you can at least just get through to Saturday when we can actually go to the store to get this stuff. So we get the chalk out and I'm like, okay, we can draw some spider webs on the front of our house now so that you will get through to the weekend. And he's like, and he's drawing him, and he sort of is immediately calming down. He's like, how'd you know that? Right? How'd you know this would work? And I was like, because you're me, you little fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, because I know that feeling precisely. Yeah. I mentioned on this show two weeks ago, I was thinking about getting a van and now a new van and I've fucking rushed out and done it. Like mm. I, once something's in my head, I can't just let it sit there. It
1: is troubling. Isn't I obsess
0: it? over it and mm. it's like picking at a scab. Like until I have a festering wound, I'm not happy. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you want to go balls deep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, half measures is for fucking pussies. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> go big or go home.
1: Yeah. I'm sort of an in-betweener of you guys. I'm not to that point of overall obsession, but when I do deep dive into something, I'm the same. I can't let it get out of my head. It was when I was doing kombucha. I had to know everything about kombucha. I I was studying scobies. I wanted to know every single thing about them, you know, like how they would get diseases, what sort of ambient temperature they need to be raised in, what sort of tea was the best, how much sugar you would do, down to the millimetre. I had to stop it in the end because I thought there was fucking Scobies all over the house.
0: (laughs) I remember (laughs) your house smelled like a brewery. It smelled like a brewery. You could smell it from the street.
1: You know, the thing was I was just drinking kombucha until I was sick. My bones were (laughs) aching from drinking kombucha. So I get that. And now I've I've suddenly taken up an interest in guitars. Narelle said to me when I got one, she goes, oh, you're going to end up putting that in the garage and never touching it again. Well, mate, I haven't stopped touching it. I'm sitting in that room like Plinking away on.
0: Now that I've publicly added myself, yep. you know you'll be playing the intro. we uh, good news, everyone. We're getting rid of the intro music, and Glenn's <laughs> going to play an intro for us. Yeah, but I'm going
1: to do it in the same court. <laughs> my fingers at the moment, like I've got blisters on my fingers. You can yeah, see yeah, them. Yeah, I see you that. know, I've got blisters on my fingers, Like. Jim Kerry says "And Yes Man, i got blisters on my fingers. I, I literally have blisters on my fingers because I'm obsessed with this thing. But not only am I obsessed with playing it, I bought another guitar. <laughs> like I've got two now and now I'm looking at getting a third one. So I understand that I don't think you've got a dangerous obsession, but let me again go back in time. I had a dangerous obsession with dog training to the point where – I didn't have relationships with a lot of other people because I could not stop training Harley. I had to do, I had to learn to train him one way, then untrain him, and then train him another way, and then untrain him, and then retrain him another way. I was obsessed with it. Every time there was a, a training method coming out, I wanted to learn uh, law enforcement with him. I wanted to learn Schutzen. and I dragged that dog through hell and high water. And I mean. Credit to him that he was such an adaptable dog and he allowed me to do it. But I I could not get myself out of this obsession, Mm. you know, and it was all consuming. I lost friends over it. I rejected family over it. I mean, it was a contributor to costing me a marriage because I was fucking
0: consumed in dog training. First one is just a practice anyway, mate. What's that, dogs? Marriage.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say. (laughs) I'm on
0: my first (laughs) and only. Yeah. There's two ways that kind of thing can become dangerous. Is as you say there, like where it becomes an obsession to the exclusion of others. Yeah. But also I think what we do see in the industry is like this obsessive grasping at knowledge without actually mastering any of yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Even though I would say that you have obsessions, I guess the thing that I see in you, which I think you've been able to control it a lot more, is that you've become more broad with your obsessions. You know, like you haven't become single-minded. You have allowed yourself to be more monocular than binocular, if that makes sense. Mm. Like I know that, you know, you and Narelle are are kind of obsessive about wanting to know a lot about things. And and like you really do grasp things and deep dive things. Both of you do this, but not to a detriment, not to a point where you just rub the world out and, you know, like you can't be involved in other things. There is a stage where it does become unhealthy and I didn't see it at the time. It wasn't until people said to me, dude, you know, like we never see you anymore. And I kind of thought, well, I don't want to, you know, like you're in my way. And I would step on people to do that, but I didn't realize how obsessed I was at the time. Mm. I wouldn't say I had to fought hard to get out of it. I just had to... I think it took Harley dying for me to realize I've got no one really around me anymore.
0: Mm.
1: None of the old people, the people that I used to know and hang out and look forward to their company and stuff like that. I had to sort of readjust myself to do this. I know this is off topic a little bit, but we're sort we don't of have a topic. we're yeah, we're sort of delving around the topic of obsession, and I think obsession is good until it becomes unhealthy. Yeah, like a like a healthy obsession.
0: Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, if there is such
1: a If thing. there is such a thing. Yeah that you can invest good time into it, but also know when to say, okay, that's enough for the day. Again, tying back into an old show topic, no more one more time. And that is when you really do have to heed the advice of people who have broken themselves or broken a system or done too much in their training methodologies that they need to really retract then and say, hang on, I'm ignoring everything that I'm telling other people to do. I'm contradicting my own advice by my own worldly behaviour. I really need to take a little step back and shift gears here Mm. because it's not going to end
0: well for me. Obsessions are a funny one because I think a lot of the time in working dogs, that's actually what we're looking to put into the dog is to make them obsessed with the work and the reinforcer and that sort of thing. And I think that we can kind of look at that and take some lessons learned, like, you know, good trainers. And it relates to what you're talking about that no more, one more time. in that like, we, we give the dog a couple of wins, say it's in like, you know, just a search for a ball. Right. Yep. And so you, you let him get it a couple of times and then you throw it out there and he knows where it is and you let him drag, drag halfway there. And then you pull him back off and you take him away and put him in the car. And then he, just, he goes back away thinking about it. yeah, And it's like, fuck, I nearly got it. Like I was so close to getting it. If I just pulled a bit harder, if I just tried a bit, if I just lent in a bit more, if I'd only found it quicker, I would have gotten it. And that's Mm. how we intentionally build obsessions with dogs. We never see it all the way through. We always finish with them wanting more. And I think that's something like you have to be a little bit sort of careful of it's 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 one of the reasons i think why the club is in such a good place is that we now fuck around for quite a long time after yeah. you know like it used to be like it doing just it, the business and then quit and then that's it yeah and yeah. i had it in my head because you know the m2 tunnel the lane Cove tunnel often shuts at 10 so mm. if i don't get into that tunnel by 10 it adds 20 minutes to my trip home yeah right and so I would be training and then I was like, see you fuckers, I'm out of here because like I've got to get into that tunnel. So we'd just train and I'd leave and I would still be aroused from the training and it was all I cared about then, when we turn up the next the next week, was straight back into the training. Yeah, right. And remember how what was happening was training was becoming earlier and earlier. And even though our start time was six o'clock, I'd be out there at four o'clock getting angry. Nobody was there training with me. Yeah, and it was just Jazz humouring me. Like she'd turn up and be like, "Okay, what the fuck do you want to do for two hours just to like stop you going crazy?" Right. And so, but people would be getting there earlier and earlier. That's
1: that obsession. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. And that's then- the, it's, the- it's like a beast that you can't feed it enough.
0: Yeah. And mm. so that was, you know, probably pretty unhealthy, but yep. now at the point, you know, now we fuck around and I say, oh, who gives a shit? Like I've missed the tunnel. Who cares? Right. Yep. I'm, I'm past that time anyway. Who gives a shit? And we yep. sit around and we talk shit. And one of the things that we've started doing in the club we didn't used to do this so much as now the dogs that are social, we let them just fuck around afterwards. Right. And I think that that really has changed the dynamic of the club a lot because it's now we're more social rather than it being like the business end, like let's train the dogs and get out of here. Right. We're all professionals. Let's do our thing. Let's get home to our family. We're just here using each other for what we need. Yeah. Whereas now it's a lot more of a, that's not what a club's all about. No, we're back Mm. to being, it's a more healthy obsession. Like it's more to that point of like, Hey, we're fulfilled. We, we trained all the dogs we're happy we're it's funny done. that wasn't the
1: ethos that we started the club under but we, but it's migrated under an understanding
0: yeah mm. that's right right yeah. and i think that it's maintaining that healthy relationship with training mm. and lifestyle balance and that sort of thing which i think some people and certainly i have been i have missed and i know you just spoke then about like on a big scale miss that is you know knowing like the right mix of between these people are my friends and training partners, yeah. but also like I enjoy them socially. Like yeah. we, we can put the dogs away and we can still talk to each other and have a good time. And that keeps things more healthy rather than just like we train the dogs, the bell rings, we stop, we start again. You know, like I think, I think that's important for any club. It was interesting a while back,
1: I'm going to out him on the show, Benny Dawson sent me a message and he was generally concerned. Like he sent me a message, he said, dude, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, have I done anything wrong? Like you and I aren't talking the same way or anything like that? And I said, no, not at all. You know, I love Ben I think Ben's an awesome guy, probably one of the nicest people I actually know, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, I just said, mate, I've got so much going on in my life right now. I can't sit in that room and just – watch dogs train without thinking it's a work related problem. And again, it's a partial envelope of obsession. But I said, I just can't sit in that room and just watch everybody train their dog while I'm thinking, fuck, I've got a podcast to edit. I've got emails that I've got to respond to. I've got to think about what I'm doing the next day. You know, like we're super busy, like super, super busy. I mean, even though there's days where I can get, partial days off, I've still got to make allowance for that and work into the night mm. just to make sure that we're ready for the next day. You know, like you can't own boarding kennels and training centers and and do everything that we're doing and then just throw caution to the wind and say, you know what, I'm the general manager, so I'll just get some other person in the, in the company to do it. You can't do that. Like you cannot accept the role and then have all care and no responsibility. Mm. I kind of felt bad that Ben had to ask me that question, that he felt that there was a relationship breakdown between him and I, because that saddened me. That's why sometimes when I come out there and, you know, like say hello to everybody, then I might disappear for a while, come back, train Randy, and then I'll come back out and socialize at the end of the night. Because I don't want people to think I don't value their friendship or Mm. like them or want to be around
0: them or anything, because they're a great bunch of people. But that, I think that is the issue of, like it's negative reinforcement to make it to let's talk about training is that that niggling feeling of like my work is just getting more like I'm here and I want to have a good time with these people and I want to interact, but I cannot escape the feeling that I have deadlines I have to meet and those deadlines are getting closer. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, that's the work life balance, Yeah, you know, that's the hard part of it, all this kind of stuff. And, and knowing setting boundaries for yourself and 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 your training limits and yeah. so many different things.
1: However, there is another good quote that I will lead into. Nobody on their deathbed ever wish for more time in the office. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, When I watched my father die, he was pretty much obsessed with work. My dad was very successful, very clever business guy. He died of a very rare spinal tumor. And we didn't have a great relationship anyway, like our relationship. He left when I was five. I didn't really know him all that well. It had been a a long time since we really sat down and had a conversation. Sadly, the only time we really had a conversation was on his deathbed. But the worst thing about it was my dad was just obsessed with work. But I saw that whole change in him when he knew he was dying. But he was in the office in a wil- in a wheelchair because he couldn't walk, you know, and I just thought this is crazy. It's sad that he got to this point. I'm not trying to put a downer on this. I'm just talking about, you know, the dangers of typecasting or cattle crushing yourself into a- into a situation. Like he went to work in a fucking wheelchair and, you know, he got so far away from the things he wanted to do. I guess we're kind of lucky because these are things that we do want to do, but- Like he wanted to go fishing on a lake and he just never really got to fulfill that part of his life. And I just thought, this is craziness. Mm -hmm. Like it's craziness that you're sitting in bed now, weeks off passing away, and now you finally got it. Now you realize it went wrong.
0: I read a book a long time ago that had a, it was just a small section in it, but it was a huge influence on my life. And I'm glad, talked about money and Like happiness, money in its relation to happiness. And, and yeah, there's a cliche like you can't buy happiness, and poor people say fuck you. Like, yes, you can. Yeah. (laughs) But the maths on that is that money is really super important to your happiness up to the point where your bills are paid. Yeah. And then after that, it's really not. Right. And like everybody's difference on, how much is a lot of money? You know, there was a time in my life where I just wanted to be able to order extra guacamole and not have to worry about the three bucks extra that it would cost, you yeah. know? But what it explained in this book was that up until your bills are paid and you lead a comfortable life, and you don't have to worry about, you know, like living day to day money after that is not a contributor to happiness. In yeah. fact, it has an inverse relationship. And the only thing that will actually make you happy past there is relationships mm. and I kind of, you know, I took that on board. It's one of those things that was an audiobook and I remember where I was in the car when I listened to that. I can remember exactly where I was. It was like I was like, okay, that's important. I feel like I need to sort of hear. Yeah, Johan
1: Hari that. talks about that in his book
0: as well. Yeah, and I think that for us in the industry, that's why, you know, when we're talking about referral partners and that kind of thing, like I have money, like I'm not rich, but – I'm not worried about paying my my rent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's – we're doing okay. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's way more important to me is that I have good friends. Yeah. So that they are the actual source of happiness. Yeah. And – I think, especially in the dog industry, because it's such an industry full of assholes, mm. is transparency and everything. And that, yep. like, the way that you develop good relationships with everybody here is just to really be who you are. Yeah, the, the right people will be attracted to that, and yep. you'll be attracted to the right people. And you hope to God that they are being transparent as well. Yeah, and of course, there's. People, there's times it turns out that they aren't, and you go, you have to sort of grieve the loss of that person who turned out not to be who you thought that they were. And mm. cause it's not that they, when a friendship like that breaks up, it's because you're genuinely upset that that person isn't who you thought like that. The character you had created died and another character is, is there.
1: Yeah. Right? But they were only revealed for the person they really were underneath. Yeah. You know, it's and a it's, mask and, and people wear them.
0: And those exist. Yeah. And and I think that you can't then, we have to be careful in our industry is to, and every industry in all the world, but mm. is to then not pick that up and apply that to other people. So yep. you, you just have to go, okay, that was a big kick in the dick from you, mm. but I'm not going to fucking protect my balls from the next person that I meet, (laughs) right? (laughs) You just have to be like, well, I hope that I don't go through that again and and be open to new friendships and new relationships. Because Mm. in in this industry, man, like it's a small industry. And and especially as we started talking about like with the online content, there's a million different dog podcasts now, right? Like and people doing Facebook lives, there's a million of those Mm. things going on. The network keeps getting bigger as the world is getting smaller, even Mm. though we can't even leave our state yeah. <laughs> that that doesn't mean that our network is getting any smaller. In fact, you know, on purpose leaning into it, our network gets bigger because we have that ability to be connected across everything. Well, I think I've said it multiple times, but- I expected
1: when COVID hit, because all our businesses are tourism related, I expected that my workload was going to plummet. Like I was preparing for that. I thought, fuck, I'm going to have so much free time on my hands. Like I'd even said, oh, I'm going to do all these scent detection videos. I'm going to get time to do this. You know, unfortunately, that was also a time that ha- shit happened with Ladybug and, mm. you know, like a whole bunch of stuff went on. But COVID made us in a way busier. What well, made me busier. Some of my staff might be, if they listen to this podcast, might be going, hey, hang on a minute, <laughs> you know. But for me, I think it significantly increased my workload.
0: Yeah. I was talking to a, a bunch of people because, you know, PSA Nationals is coming up and people messaging me like, hey, we're going to see it at Nationals. <laughs> I'm like, no. I can't even leave my state. Yeah, I know. Let alone it's terrible, get to get like, to the US. Like that's so far off my radar. Yeah, that goalpost has moved over the horizon for me. I, I have no visibility on that. I'm just looking forward to being able to go to a different state. I have this whole exactly. I have this whole, back to what we were originally going to talk about is, you know, low level use of e-collar, right? Mm. I want to film a video on that, how to implement it, go through the really detailed nuance, which we were going to talk about in this episode about how to use an e-collar and that it's a, as a tactile input, right? Long before you enter into pain compliance, which is, you know, how most people are using e-collar and teach e-collar. I want to teach it as a tactile input and explain the science and how it works and that you can programme the dog's brain as that being an input that it can now work with right Oh there's a story I've
1: got to tell you but not on air. Okay. Ask me to remind you about this e-collar story before I leave.
0: Okay. Yeah. So in the same way that there are devices that are around now that allow like deaf people to experience sound as a haptic input via vibrations in a bracelet that they wear. Yeah. Your brain has the capacity to do that. Dog's brain has the capacity to do that. You can create a feeling of the e-collar, the stimulus of the e-collar at the low levels before you enter into pain compliance. Yep. You can give that the function, whatever you want. And you can explain that to the dog via the technique I want to show of implementing that to have the tactile feedback that you want. Right. And I'm going to explain about like tactile feedback being more important to the dog than visual and, and as well as auditory, like, and how this is the thing that he will pay attention to the most. And you can be the most clear. You can be the most precise, blah, blah, blah. I've got it all in my head. Right. I can't fucking film it because Not I need to, state. I can't film it in this state. I yeah. have to go to Victoria or to Queensland to do it. And I can't get into either one of those states to do it. I've got the dogs lined up. I've got every So I'm going to, I'm going to do it on green dogs. Dogs that have never felt an e-collar before. So there's no bullshit. There's no like, Oh, I tell. I promise this works. Here's a dog that already knows it. I've got dogs. that have never used an e-collar. I, I'm still searching for the right dog. That's been fucked up with an e-collar. And I yep. want to show the process of fixing that. I can't get into the States to film that. It's doing my head in. At some stage, I did know a partial
1: amount of the story why e-collars were deemed illegal in the state of New South Wales. And it had something to do with some kelpie breeders who I think were tied into the local governments or something like that. I'd love to do a deep dive and really know. Do you know the information behind it? No, not at all. Yeah. It has something to do with some guy who was involved in kelpie raising training and stuff like that. Like he was the catalyst who said, no, I don't want to do this and campaigned very very strongly with government so i don't know if he's attached to local government or state government or anything like that. But if anyone knows the story about what happened in New South Wales and
0: why we were the exception or anything like that, I think this needs it, to be uncovered. It would be an interesting thing to understand because certainly yes. history repeats itself. And so it would be a good one for people in other areas to be able to identify what was the catalyst mm. and how can we put out that fire before it starts, if yep. it ever does.
1: So if anyone's got that information, like- they- or if you're the guy- or if you're the guy, yeah, let's uh, let's talk. Do you regret it? I hope so. Probably at the time there was probably a lot of cowboys going around blowing yeah. dogs' heads off, which probably led to the catalyst of it being implemented. But, you know, as we said, the world has changed. New information is available. People are getting better. And I think, you know, again, leading to that ethos that we're talking about developing an understanding and education rather than just black banning people from everything.
0: hmm Anyway, that's my big frustration. So no, I won't be at PSA Nationals because I can't even drive fucking six hours over the border. I'm supposed to be talking in Europe next year for the
1: first IACP European conference. Like I'm actually supposed to be a guest speaker, but I've... I've literally told my poor team, because I'm the director oversight of the European Committee, I've told my team, I said, look, our government's not going to let us be there. You know, the writing is on the wall. Unless a miracle happens now, I'm not going to be there. So I have to do it. Like, I can't be there. I can't party with them. I can't celebrate the first, providing that's allowed to go ahead, too, with all the shit that's happening with with COVID. But these amazing people, the committee headed up by Cassia, they're doing so much work. They're working, they're integrating, they're networking, they're doing everything that you could ever ask for as a director of that committee and yet I can't be with them, mm. you know, and they're my people. It's sad. Like it really is. It's tearing at my heart because I just can't be with the people that I've been working with to get this off the ground.
0: Yeah, it's very frustrating.
1: It is in yeah. so many ways. Yeah. But Narelle's going to do a seminar in Canberra. Oh yeah, she's got one in booked in for February. That's good. Yeah, you
0: can get to Canberra.
1: Yeah, she can get to Canberra. Canberra hasn't had any cases of COVID mm. for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, good for them. Yeah,
1: good on you, Lainey Butler. I think it is
0: cool. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah, that's it for an episode with no topic of just us talking. If you're still listening,
1: <laughs> if you're still there, current Kirsty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As always, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Yep, a few bucks a month gets you an extra episode in there. Mm-hmm. You could buy a T-shirt from Teespring. Yep, that would be cool too. If you want to get in contact with us, the best way to source information, like if you have training want training advice, is in the group. Mm-hmm. That's someone who knows better than us answer those questions. And if you want to talk to us personally, you can shoot us an individual emails. If it's individual people. Mm-hmm. Or you could email us we at info at the canonparadigm.com. Yep. You'll probably both see that. Yes, we do. And I just want to say Kirsty read one more time. What about Ban I've lost track of how many how many they'll
1: they know. They can tally it up and then they can show us at the end of the yeah end of the episode. All right,
0: Glenn, music. Kirsty. <laughs> Kirsty Gavin. <laughs>